This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraus. Thanks for listening. It's a really cold, misty November day, and I'm walking through the Giardini in Venice, one of the only places in the city where you can escape the narrow streets and stone-clad campi and walk beneath trees. In the summer, of course, these gardens are a sanctuary from the intense heat and humidity here. But as winter is now rapidly approaching, the gardens have an altogether different atmosphere. The gates have been closed and the crowds have been replaced by people dismantling the exhibitions. Exhibitions which, until a couple of days ago, formed part of the 15th International Architecture Exhibition, reporting from the front. My name's James Taylor Foster, and I'm a writer, editor, and architect in training. I'm here because, for the larger part of this year, I've been living in Venice. I came here in the spring to oversee the installation of a show I was involved in with Debe Basulto. It was called In Therapy, and was the national participation of the Nordic countries, that is Finland, Norway, and Sweden. It was also the first major architecture exhibition that I've been involved with. And now, just after the closing of the Biennale, I'm in a position to reflect not only on what was presented in Venice this year, but also more widely on what it actually means to curate architecture. 2016 has been a year of Biennale and Triennale like no other. Alongside Venice are the Triennales of Oslo, of Lisbon, and even the Istanbul Design Biennial, each of which addressed architecture as a practice, a process, and a way of understanding our position in the world in very different ways. And so, for this inaugural GSAP podcast, and with the help of a group of leading voices in the world of architectural exhibition making, the large majority of whom convened at the school in New York for a conference entitled Exhibition Models, I want to probe a little into the rather enigmatic contemporary practice of curating the built environment. of the architectural exhibition is split between two camps, although it's not quite that clear-cut. The first type are those curated by historians and archivists, exhibitions which present primary material, the stuff used in the process of designing a building. You have drawings and sketches, scale models of varying degrees, and, if the project was built, documentation, usually in the form of photography and film. Sometimes bits and pieces which connect to the creation of a building, letters, emails, WhatsApp conversations increasingly, are also used to flesh out its context. When these different types of media are assembled carefully and intelligently, they can tell pretty much any story the curator intends, but they are focused, first and foremost, on the thought process of those involved in its creation. More recently, and we're still talking a fair while back, the architectural exhibition has been pushed and stretched and moulded to do more to provoke and imagine as much as represent. Becoming established in the 1970s, these exhibitions have become less about conventional presentation and the construction of a clear narrative, and more about the creation of an installation or a statement pertaining to the field as close or as loosely as the curator chooses. Whereas some exhibitions point to something over there, buildings more often than not, others offer an experience in and unto themselves. 
and the most broadly successful iteration of both these exhibition models has been that of the Biennale and Triennale. These events, which are usually accompanied by a large-scale publication strategy and dense public programming, have the potential to reach large physical audiences, if they're in the right location, that is. I will always maintain that the reason Venice has become so successful in this framework is because of the fact that it's Venice. If the Biennale is terrible, you're still in the capital of the imagined world, as Paolo Mendes de Rocha once described it. Now, as I mentioned before, many of these conversations you're about to hear were recorded in and around Avery Hall at Columbia in New York City. Exhibition Models, the conference we were all there for, was hosted by Amal Andreos, who's dean of the school. Here she is, explaining why this comparatively undervalued discourse is increasingly of renewed importance. You know, we've been kind of witnessing an explosion of biennales and triennales over the past two decades. But in particular, uh, I think in the last couple of years, they've been of a very high quality. It used to be that Venice was the beginning and the end of, of it all until the next Venice, and now there's a kind of circuit. It's also interesting, I think, uh, to think about exhi exhibitions uh, not only as a lens through which to look at um, architecture and how it's evolving, um, um, but it's also become a practice in itself as a kind of mode of intervention, uh, both uh, discursive and in practice. Um, exhibitions can do many things. They can uh, sort of take the pulse of a contemporary uh, sort of um, scene, let's say. They can uh, propose alternates uh, and new directions and trajectories for thinking about architecture and cities and the environment. Uh, but I can also reread the past and kind of uncover important archives um, um, that allow us to, again, look at the future in different ways. And it seems that the idea of an exhibition as a multifaceted method of condensing and provoking discourse is at the heart of what most people understand to be curation in architecture. Today, display is less important than discussion. Before we head back to New York, let's lay a little institutional groundwork. The Canadian Centre for Architecture, or the CCA, was founded in Montreal in 1979 by Phyllis Lambert, a rather eclectic tour de force of the architectural world who wanted to develop an international research institution based on the fundamental premise that architecture is a public concern. Almost four decades later, the CCA is a bastion in the world of architectural research and production. It also has one of the world's foremost drawing archives to boot. Giovanna Barassi, a former writer and editor, became the institution's chief curator in 2014. I think in general, I, I feel that the, um, the exhibition are a tool, so are not a, a goal per se. So for me, as they are a way of visualizing a, an idea or something that you want to put out and will become part of a kind of discourse in architecture. So in this sense, um, I, I, I have to say also because we are in Montreal, so we live with the fact that many of the things we do here, they are actually not seen. Uh, we put a lot of emphasis on all the rest and how this should be communicated and so on. The issue of archiving and communicate, from one side is communicating, one side is archiving. We are trying to build a kind of institutional archive along, around as many of the institutions around uh, what we do, but it's very difficult because there are certain things that is, are very different to, to grasp, you know. You can 
discuss with our archivists what we have to keep. Or okay, we always have to keep the plan of the show, the photos, and so on. But how you keep the research? And for me, this is a very difficult. Uh, task because, for example, what is fascinating of looking at the archive of Sedwi Price is not only that you have his drawing, his letters, and, and so on, but you actually have all this mishmash of things that he will collect to actually arrive to conceive the ideas. And these are all the kind of random things that you might collect in your, you know, in your Instagram uh, because you know while you are working on a project, you see this and you uh, you take a photo and. And, but there is nothing that is clearly referred to that. So I think in this moment, uh, oral history is coming back as very much as a, as a system to kind of uh, maintain, like to keep what, what are the ideas uh, during the, the project. We are discussing how, how much we can describe the process more more than the final outputs that anyhow is documented through photographies and film and whatever. But still, uh, there is all this part that is in the hands of the audience, like all the kind of uh, you know comments in all the kind of social media discussions that that, that are happening that you might not even be aware uh, that 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 in some Twitter accounts uh, someone is referring to something you have done and so on. I come more from a, a kind of editorial uh, background or maybe really as an architect. So I see uh, the idea of uh, curating for me is not so different from an intelligent architectural project. A nice curated uh, project has the same strength of an architectural project. Should see um, see the, the what is coming and anticipate it. Should be able to con put it in a context that is larger than the program you have. Should respond to you know a, a kind of audience uh, needs, but also provoke some question, leave some uh, you know. Um, things open and also have a time that goes beyond the project in itself. And Mirko Zardini, who has been the director of the CCA for over 10 years now, agrees. Uh, you can look at that uh, from uh, an historical point of view. Uh, till recently, a lot uh, of the activities that you pretend to be done by curators were done by architects. All the important Biennale and Triennale uh, in the past uh, have been done by architects. Just to mention, for example, the Rossi Triennale in Milan, which is very important, or the, the Portuguese Biennale in Venice, the, none of them would ever consider himself a, a curator. Nevertheless, uh, more and more, there is, a, uh, starting also from the 80s, there is a, a growing, uh, the creation of a growing number of, of institutions dealing with architecture. This is an evolution in respect to the original idea of institutional architectural museum as it was developed in Russia or in Scandinavian countries, very linked to an idea of a national identity. But uh, let's assume that, uh, for uh, simplifying a little bit the discourse, that from the uh, 80s, uh, a new kind of institution uh, started to be created, which was not the Scandinavian Museum or the architectural department in the American Museum. It was a center for architecture, like CCA, the Getty Center, the Deutsche Architektur Museum. Uh, later, other institutions joined, the, the Cité de l'Architecture. There is always, always been Victoria and Alban IBA. 
with their conflictual uh, relationships, love and hate, uh, um, Architur Centrum in Vienna. So there is an incredible number of new institutions. Uh, they attract uh, a different kind of people to work there. Who are these people? Uh, till now they've been uh, people coming from the different field of architecture that they wanted to engage in a more concrete uh, and perhaps in this moment strategic way to uh, discuss, uh, criticize, uh, promote uh, uh, architecture in a moment in which uh, uh, newspapers, uh, magazines and even universities look uh, as if they have a little bit abandoned a kind of uh, direct uh, uh, commitment to a public voice on architecture. Representing a public voice, that founding principle of the CCA, is fundamental to many other platforms that communicate architecture, including schools. Now, I just want to take the opportunity to add a little more context. The day we had most of these conversations was a difficult one. It was November the 11th, 2016, two days after Donald Trump was elected as president. As many of you can surely imagine, there was a very palpable sense of frustration, confusion, despair and fear. The conversations continued nevertheless, albeit in a rather more charged context. I'm Sylvia Levin. I'm an architectural educator and academic. I'm in the middle of uh, throes of anxiety and depression after the election, um, since the election seemed to be so much about the difference between people who were educated and people who were not educated. Um, I think it was the first time that a major political event felt as deeply personal to um, both the importance of the academy and the failures of the academy in the United States. Exhibitions occupy a particular space between the um, uh, uncontrolled publicness of buildings and the overly controlled privacy of uh, academic discourse. So exhibitions are a halfway house um, and maybe what everybody is really imagining is alternative publics um, and hoping that the architectural exhibition is a way uh, to do that. I'm not sure anybody talks about architecture as form and aesthetic anymore. I am not sure that I would give uh, uh, the architectural exhibition any particular agency in that I think it's the state of the I think it's the state of uh, existence uh, today um, so I, I think that the architectural exhibition deals with the collapse of form as the unifying uh, thematic of discourse in a particular way and while the architectural exhibition certainly does have a profound reflective role to play, others have constructed entire curatorial theses on the notion that form is not only one of architecture's fundamental legacies, but is also a common language that brings together architects to engage in a collective conversation. This, at least, was the foundation of the Form of Form, the fourth Lisbon architecture triennale. Was it a reaction against a widespread move away from form and aesthetic in architectural discourse? Here's its chief curator. Andre Tavares. There was um, a strong consciousness on the um, architects losing track mm -hmm. and architectural uh, exhibitions not being about architecture. And uh, we, as curators, making a huge effort uh, to explain what architecture is about, and then people going to visit exhibitions and think about everything but architecture. 
it was very conscious from me, Diogo, and the other curators that, and the other architects and the other people that we engage to the program to say, let's, let's bring architecture into a different realm, which is not the construction, which is not the design and the practice, but let's bring, bring this construction, this design practice to museum spaces, to public spaces, to debates, um, and let's share the knowledge that as practitioners, as scholars, as uh, curious people about what architecture is, we manage to have. So there is a knowledge that we have, uh, and it's to share this knowledge and, and not confusing exhibiting with practice. And I think this is very important, this, uh, this idea of sharing knowledge, because it's something that you can bring back to practice and that it can foster the way you think of, about your own practice, but at the same time, that strengthens your your relationship with uh, uh, material suppliers, uh, clients, public authorities, any of the multiple uh, players that in the end build architecture, which are not architects. It is an aesthetic. I remember um, uh, an, a colleague saying, oh, look at this building, it's just, it's, it's just the result of every, every it's, a, it's a natural consequence. I didn't design anything. So if you think about the program, the, the restraints of the site, and you know, it's nothing to do with a kind of aesthetic. And you look at the building, and it's exactly the same as the other buildings that he designed in different places, having different, um, having, having different clients, having different constraints. So it's literally an aesthetic. It's very important for us as curators to raise, a, a, let's say, a, a theoretical level, a critical level, so that as architects we can also be aware of uh, what we are doing because it's not often the case. And it's interesting here to note how for some, curation in architecture is tightly interwoven with that of building. Marina Otero is an architect based in Rotterdam and is also the head of research and design at Hetnoy Institute, formerly known as the NIE. She was also one-fifth of the After Belonging Agency, the curatorial team who dispatched the 2016 Oslo Architecture Triennale, After Belonging. For her, the curatorial aspect of architecture, although undoubtedly present in her work, is just one part of her practice. Before coming to New York and studying the masters, I was a practicing architect and I was working in an architectural office. I was actually on site, on the construction site, for a long time. And then I came to New York and I was uh, totally amazed by the possibilities uh, in which architectural practice could be expanded. I'm not at all interested in uh, the term curating. And I have to say that before actually uh, starting the program of uh, critical and curatorial and conceptual practices, I didn't even know what curating was. I, I was maybe organizing events or, uh, you know, uh, were coordinating things. So it was, I was using other terms to express what you would say that is curating. And then when I was studying in the masters, I was not interested in the part of curating. So 
I try not to describe my practice as curating, even if then, as a matter of fact, I became curator of Adriennale, but that doesn't mean that is what represents my practice. To me, it's not what describes what I do. I still think that I describe myself as an architect. So that's why I think I, I want also to reclaim the word uh, architect as an individual that could be involved in writing, editing, curating, building, etc., because has been the case always. It's not something that's a recent invention. This pluralist approach to the practice of architecture is one which I personally identify with. The role of the architect has diversified, or indeed for some, diluted, but in so doing has opened doors to alternative ways of thought and production. The practice of architecture embodies curatorial work and encompasses things like writing as ways of working through and presenting ideas. And a sketch, of course, a working drawing or a presentation model, does exactly the same thing. So what about exhibition design? When an architect is asked not ostensibly to curate per se, but to design and build the framework through which people experience a show. Is this just about creating interiors or is it more complex? Here's Andres Hacker, principal of the Office for Political Innovation and the exhibition architect for the 2016 Istanbul Design Biennial, Are We Human? Well, whereas most biennials give space to authors uh, and contributors, the uh, Istanbul Design Biennial, we decided, together with the curators, to provide conflict. So that is, that is what is given to the contributors. And basically, we were not dividing the space and giving lots to each of them, but we were creating constellations in which different contributions, contributions could react to each other. That was the first idea. The second is that whereas most biennials are separating content from uh, the cafe or the place where the events happen, we're actually colliding all these things. So the biennial would be a place where the evidences of the works of those that were participating could be uh, the origin of conversations, formal and informal. So everything would be uh, brought to the same place. So different ways of approaching to the topics that the biennial was uh, facing could be collided together. I would say that images are becoming, as you said, immensely important, massively important uh, in the way we get together as societies. Uh, but at the same time, I think that we're becoming much more savvy in uh, the way we decode images. So we not only look at the image itself, but we look at the frame in which it's uh, given to us. Uh, we are looking at who's posting it and what is the comment that comes with it and what is the image that comes following it. In a way, we're inhabiting images and that means that we don't see them that much from outside, but we get to inhabit them in a way that we're surrounded by them and we're very much effectively connected and politically uh, kind of afraid by, by them. And I asked Andre specifically about the role of the image in exhibitions because it remains the one consistent thread between architectural exhibitions of the 20th century and architectural exhibitions today, even if how the image is presented has shifted slightly. The Istanbul Design Biennial was unique among the Biennales and Triennales of 2016 because the curators, Beatrice Colomina and Mark Wigley, were acutely aware of the role of new media and social media in syndicating a message. Exhibitions are enormously elite events. The proportion of people who are physically able to transport themselves from, say, Mumbai to Venice or Shenzhen to Istanbul is almost infinitesimal. 
So how these events are disseminated is now, more than ever, of utmost importance. Even Manuera helped to direct some of the online dimensions of the Istanbul Design Biennial. From the very beginning, in my first conversations with Mark Wigley and Beatriz Colomina, we were talking about the importance of social media and the online dimension of any kind of exhibition. It was funny that some of the people that were just like talking with us, like for the last year, they were actually saying like, but it already happened, but because it's true, no? In a way, like even before the opening of the biennial, the biennial was already happening. In album Bomontiada there was a space that it was called Design in Two Seconds. Uh, it was designed by Andres Hake and uh, with the collaboration of a workshop between uh, Princeton and Columbia uh, students. It was describing uh, this kind of very specific urbanism of social media, but not only like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, but also the urbanism of uh, some other kind of media that, uh, for example, Andres is very interested in, that it is tender, and some other kind of uh, uh, interaction no, that we could have. So this kind of space was suddenly uh, a space that was also uh, giving another kind of temporality, these two seconds, no, but also another kind of uh, images, uh, another kind of spaces that we are certainly living in, no, through our cell phones, through our, through our iPads, and through, of course, uh, uh, our presence in any of these platforms. I'm Beatriz Colomina, and you know who I am. Well, I can tell you. Along with Mark, Beatriz co-curated the Istanbul Design Biennial, but she's also an extremely established historian and theorist and is the director of the program in Media and Modernity at Princeton University School of Architecture. She's written and curated widely, and one of her ongoing research themes is about the role of media and architecture. Now, just to give you some context, Beatriz and I spoke at the end of a long day and with two glasses of wine down us, so here's a rather lengthy question of mine, followed by Beatriz's more interesting answer. We're at a position in, in, in the course of, of architectural communication, and I'm also wrapping in architectural exhibitions into also the role of, of communication within the field and for outside the field in which the book will always maintain its relevance. The magazine appears to be losing its relevance in one format mm -hmm. and gaining maybe new relevance in a different format. Now obviously the, if we distill it down to print and digital, you know, I've, I'm constantly advocating the fact that they are, contrary to popular belief, not paradoxical. They have to exist together. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of pace. It's a matter of the way in which you consume mm -hmm. the material. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there is a, also a general feeling that, that um, for example, when you're creating an exhibition, you create a catalogue, you create a series of, like a constellation of, of, of objects in which you represent and re-communicate and disperse the ideas behind the exhibition. What was super interesting with what you and, and Mark Wigley did uh, in Istanbul was you also had an incredible emphasis on, on digital um, digital dissemination, right? Whether that was through um, the Eflux architecture platform, whether that was through, based on your own research, an incredible um, kind of handle on social media. Yeah. Um, 
this is still quite rare in in the architectural biennale triennale exhibition world is Would it you agree? I don't yeah know. probably but i mean i think that then if it is the case they are completely missing the point because the whole history of architects of architects of the 20th century demonstrate that they understood perfectly well the median of the exhibition but also the media that was uh, of uh, importance of his time so you cannot separate uh, all these great exhibitions from the publications that were uh, produced at the same time so let's Nouveau uh, Pavilion, for example, is inseparable from the history of L'Esprit Nouveau magazine, etc., etc. In fact, it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, he advertised it there and he, you know, and so it's super important to understand that in the moment that we are in, the dominant uh, media, the new media, is precisely digital media. So it's not only the collaboration with Flash that came out up at a certain point, but also um, starting the Biennale also in social media very mm. early on and mm. that you reach a different kind of uh, audience a younger audience so the Biennale doesn't start the moment the Biennale opens but the Biennale starts many months uh, uh, before when you start reading the manifesto when you uh, kind of curate in a way yeah. uh, uh, some sort of, uh, of, uh, of uh, discussion uh, that happens in multiple uh, platforms all over the world, including, of course, uh, uh, our daily. Now, finally, I want to explore again that other model, the non-Biennale Triennale model of creating exhibitions. Beatrice Galilee has been the Associate Curator of Architecture and Design at the Met in New York City since 2014. Before then, she was Chief Curator of the 2013 Lisbon Architecture Triennale, so she's experienced both sides of the coin, so to speak. What's it like to be a curator in an institution where you have the luxury of time and a greater security in terms of funding, perhaps, but a whole other range of pressures to contend with? I mean, I found working with institutions to be difficult, whether you're working with the Biennale Institution or a Triennale Institution. And actually, what what's amazing about having an institution that you go into day in, day out, is that you develop relationships and things get easier. And when you do biennales, you start from scratch every time. Mm. It's a completely new site condition. It's a radical new team. Everyone is new to you. They don't know your sense of humor. Maybe there's a cultural divide. Maybe there isn't. But you you know, you know, spend time building that. That's part of what makes you good a good biennale curator is like an ability to like get the team together, move fast, get people inspired, get people want to work with you, want to deliver the best thing that they've ever done for you. The more time I spend at the Met, you know, whether, I, whether I'm there for another year or another 10 years or another 25 years, I feel that I will get more done every year. And I've got more done in my second year than in my first year. I got more done in my third year than in my second year. And I think that's great. And I feel so much more supported and nourished in that context than I ever did working you know, with the Biennale, where you have to also, on top of the Biennale, do several other things because that's the way that you, you know, take writing jobs or you take teaching jobs and, you know, and at the Met you just do everything and it's all under the auspices of your position and that's what you generate and that's what you want to do as a curator. You want to write, you make publications, you make exhibitions, you make talks, you do installations, you work site-specific things, you make commissions work with photography, you know, you, you're able to kind of, one is able to practice. Mm if you can find the space for it. I like talking about it to some extent because I like understanding what the point of these things are yeah. and what we're hoping to achieve. Because I think there was this, 
let's say the reaction against the model and the drawing which happened whenever it was 10 15 years ago and people were like we don't want to see architecture exhibitions comprised of models and drawings we prefer experiences or we prefer other modes of you know more experimental um, performative architectural installations and I was definitely on that that was really how I started and um, now I think about photography and I think about moving image or I think about capturing architecture as something that's really a complex idea and something I really want to try and understand better you can't really show architecture if you're showing models and drawings. You're showing you're showing an intent, or you're showing an isolation of an of an, of an homage of an image, or you're showing a model of something which is isolated and and, and looking down and all those kind yeah. of obvious points about models and drawings. But when you start to deal with photography, or when you start to deal with commissions, or you start to deal with site-specific installations, you really come up against it in a really sort of beautiful way. One cannot present architecture as something that is definitive in the same way that you can with art. It's now spring 2017 and I'm in Dublin, Ireland, walking through the courts of Trinity College. The connection between city, town and landscape in this country has been a fascination of mine ever since I read Ulysses. But beyond the fiction, there is a unique considered poeticism to the way that practices tend to operate here. Among them, O'Donnell and Toomey, but also Grafton Architects, who, a little over a month ago, were announced as the creative directors of the 2018 Venice Architecture Biennale. These things come around quickly. Shelley and Yvonne, the two founders of Grafton Architects, are, in their own words, firmly rooted in the fertile Irish terra firma, but with their heads looking up to the sky. Their ambitious design sensibility is both grounded and at the same time highly aspirational, which is also how architects in Ireland tend to be trained. These words are reminiscent, of course, of those of one of Dublin's more famous literary sons. We are all in the gutter, Oscar Wilde wrote, but some of us are looking at the stars. In the year leading up to the world's largest and most established architectural exhibition, Venice, there is always an incredible amount of speculation. The approach that Shelley and Avon take is likely to be very different from what the Biennale has seen before, but with a sense of continuity too. Set against the backdrop of a world which is becoming ever more politically reckless, there is an urgency, in my opinion at least, to engage with it without pretending that all the crises we currently face can be solved by an exhibition. It should seek to reconcile the gulf that has grown between those who contribute and respond to the architectural exhibition, in its broadest sense, and those who yet don't. This is absolutely about aesthetic and language, but also about how a static, if not temporal, event can be disseminated to contribute to the emerging global discourse, irrespective to some degree of what the event is actually about. We've seen how the wall, for example, a beautiful and powerful architectural tool, can also be read as deeply sinister in the way that it's deployed. So the ways in which we talk about space and ultimately where the discourse of architecture should land is of real importance. I recently heard a talk given by a Brazilian-American professor of architecture and he mentioned something which has stuck with me. The Portuguese word for window is janela, forgive my pronunciation, and janela is rooted in the word Janus, the name of the ancient Roman god of beginnings, gates, transitions, doorways and passages. 
He looked one way and the other simultaneously, which is really what an exhibition does. And I think that we shouldn't lose sight of that, nor underestimate how important enriching discourse in a practice with such a tangible impact really is. This podcast was written and produced in partnership with the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University. I'm grateful to everyone who contributed to this first episode of GSAP Conversations, both in New York and Montreal. Thank you. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.